Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. Tim, happy March. Happy March, Adam. I think this is when (laughs) winter actually starts, so... (laughs) Seems like it after the last week. It's, uh... It's kind of funny. We finally get winter the last week of February. So, uh, yeah, ice and snow uh, on storm, hashtag on storm. It's been a good week. If you like genuine winter weather, if you've been waiting all winter for it, hopefully the ski hills can open now. Yeah, it looks like they are. So people who are into skiing, snowboarding, have fun. Mm-hmm. Hopefully this doesn't continue into May or anything. I hope it's just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you can have one or two weeks i approve yeah. of that after one or that. two weeks maybe march break you can have march break too yeah yeah i don't know now oh, well that's global like, warming yeah it's too it's too bad when you think of it that way oh well that's well, this became this became a real downer very quickly anyway <laughs> yeah, like- and and credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we're here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new semi-autobiographical coming-of-age drama, The Fablemans, which you can now rent on VOD sites. Um, I assume you can probably still find it. It's still popping up in rep houses, um, obviously, as we're kind of counting down to the Oscars. Um, the Fablemans, I think, has the third most number of Oscar nominations. And uh, so it... it wasn't necessarily a box office success, but I think people are kind of checking it now that it's readily and easily available on VOD. Of course, this is a Steven Spielberg movie, his 34th. And so we're going to start this week's show by uh, playing a little game. Uh, We've covered, obviously, the films of Spielberg a lot on this show, so it felt kind of like superfluous to kind of do like a best of rank, especially since it's like pretty solidly you know what spielberg's best movies are like if if you were to get a group of people together and say you're ask for the top five you would probably get four out of five in common would you, would you say tim i would say so yeah i might have some surprises today but yeah i think oh. there's the i think there's yeah those especially from the 80s and 90s there's those key Mm-hmm. He films he did that mm-hmm. that uh, really popular, critically acclaimed. Um, gets a little more interesting later on. Choosing, I found, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> into no. the tens and nowadays, it's a little, a little more interesting, more more personal taste. I think now as opposed to universal acclaim. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you, you you kind of hit on something there. So we're gonna do a Steven Spielberg movie draft where we're going to do five rounds five decades um different five different spiel beeras if i may <laughs> spiel i i came up i came up with that trademark with, that i should trademark it but i uh i thought of i thought of it in the shower yesterday spiel <laughs> beeras um so the 70s 80s and 90s plus the aughts and the tens and the beginning of the twenties here. Fablemans, I because we're doing a full review, we're not gonna draft the Fablemans. That's off the draft table. Oh, um, is it? Okay. Oh, d- 
that may have been a spoiler, folks. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to the full Fablemans guys back half of the show. Um, so when we're talking about in the 1970s, we have Duel, Sugarland Express, Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Time in 1941. In the 80s, we have Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Always, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. In the 90s, we have Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Amistad, and Saving Private Ryan. In the aughts, we have AI Artificial Intelligence, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And then in the 10s and the 20s, we have The Adventures of Tintin, Warhorse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, Ready Player One, and West Side Story. So, like I said, five rounds, one movie from each round. Uh, we're, we're not going to go by decade, but we're going to go by pick. So, um, Tim will go first. He will pick his movie. He'll he'll pick the decade and the movie, and then I will go next and pick my movie and the decade, and we'll keep going till we have a list of ten. So, Tim, are you ready to draft? I am. Yeah, it feels like the NHL draft here. <laughs> get Sidney Crosby. Um, so are we right. going like do I do I say like the seventies first or do I pick any movie? Pick like, any, any decade and then pick your movie. Okay. I guess I'll uh I'll have fun with it then. I'll pick the seventies. Okay. Nineteen seventies for Spielberg, and I'll pick Duel as my oh, pick. Oh, that is a surprise. Nineteen seventy one. Um yeah, Spielberg, he went on to direct a lot of classic iconic films in the seventies, like Jaws. Close Encounters of the, of the Third Kind. But if you were to ask me right now, say, hey, Tim, <laughs> want to watch a Spielberg movie from the 70s? We are asking you right now. I would choose Duel <laughs> right, right now. There it is. And I don't even know, an hour and a half, two hours, however long. I would watch Duel um, mm-hmm. because it's, yeah, it's riveting entertainment, I mm-hmm. find. And I think... Um, we touched on it. I think we were on air when we touched on it. Like the fact that, or no, we might not have been Um, (laughs) uh, the fact that you never see the driver other than his arms to wave on, uh, to wave on the uh, person he's barreling down on. um, And you just see his boots as well. Mm. But basically it's a really, really gripping thriller about a, businessman um played by uh dennis weaver dennis weaver yeah dennis weaver who was a tv star at the time he was in he had been in gunsmoke and he starred in mcleod um and steven spielberg was only 24 years old when he directed this in 1971 and Mm -hmm. it was made for tv it didn't even have a theatrical release at the time Mm -hmm. um and the story basically is this business commuter played by Dennis Weaver is driving in California on his way to see a client and this truck appears and uh, in the Mojave desert and it's driving slowly. (laughs) So he passes the truck. Then the truck passes him, drives slowly in front of him and just is antagonizing him. Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps building and building you know, at first, it was great voiceover, too, That's builds the tension. It's a little bit campy, too, but I like. <laughs> but it builds the tension um, 
from uh, Dennis Weaver's character, David, David Mann is the uh, character name. You're wonder, wondering, okay, is he, is he being paranoid? Is this truck really, really out to get him? Mm. Um, but then as it goes on, you realize, yes, this truck, for whatever reason, this truck driver has a grudge against him and mm-hmm. is going out of his way to antagonize him. <laughs> and as it builds to run him off the road, um, slows down in front of the car, waves him on and waves him on into un- oncoming traffic. <laughs> and you're just, there's this mystery of why is this truck driver doing this? And so the film has been compared to Hitchcock, like mm-hmm. thinking like the birds, like why are the birds attacking? Mm-hmm. And it was a precursor to Jaws, obviously, where you don't see the shark uh, till till the end there. Um, so it, it's a precursor to Jaws as well. And sort of that, like, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. But what I liked about Duel is that it's, it's a human who's causing this. Um, mm-hmm. Spielberg went on to say, well, it's the truck's the antagonist. Well, there is a driver behind the truck. We don't see him. Mm-hmm. But humans can do so many evil things and <laughs> and it's even more frightening when it's the motives not explained it's like why is he doing this why is he antagonizing this poor man why is he like trying to commit murder with a truck here almost um yeah you wonder like why why is that the case and uh but i like the fact that this is like a psychopath and it makes it even scarier because there mm-hmm. are psychopaths out there in the world. So mm-hmm. why, why is he doing it? I don't need an answer for that. I think it's more frightening not knowing why this is happening mm-hmm. and just following the events. Mm-hmm. And it's a great calling card for Spielberg early in his career, showing tremendous action sequences that build tension throughout. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, when the trucker waves, waves on David Mann to pass him, it's into oncoming traffic. David Mann stopped at one point to help a school bus that mm. is stuck on the road and the truck comes <laughs> barreling towards him. Mm-hmm. And then, so he has to get away and then the, the truck driver does a good deed. He pushes the, the bus back onto the road. So you're like, okay, this guy just has, he just has a beef with David Mann for whatever <laughs> reason, yeah. you know, maybe because he passed him there. And, mm-hmm. we, you know, anyone who's been in a car before can can empathize, empathize with that because, you know, people like with road rage, it's like he passed him. So, so now is this guy have a real grudge against him? Is he going to make it his, his project here to, to just, yeah. you know, antagonize it, him, run him off the road? It predates road rage as a phenomenon, too. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how much road rage there was in California and <laughs> in, the se- in the 70s. I'm, I'm sure there was some, but yeah, it it really uh, really shows how that how that could deteriorate into into violence and mm. um, yeah, and, and I just like the mystery of it too. It's just it it's such a well contained film without a lot of extras to it. Mm. Um, I like his other movies like Jaws. I like the whole, like the, the police at odds with the uh, tourism board kind of thing, not wanting (laughs) to shut down the the beach. And 
stuff. So I like that. But in this, it's just sort of it's just so contained within within the road and within the why why is this happening? And there there's really cool scenes where David Mann sees the the boots of the uh, driver, the snakeskin boots early on. Mm-hmm. And then he sees them again. So he thinks when he's in this uh, diner, so he thinks that that is the driver, that the mm-hmm. driver has come in the diner and he goes after this guy and this guy ends up beating him up because mm-hmm. he's, because uh, he's not the driver. He's just like, what are you doing, man? And he beats up uh, David Mann and then you see the truck drive away. So the, tr- the trucker was just outside the whole time watching the event, <laughs> yeah. but you never see the, the trucker's face. So it's, it just makes it, makes it that more much more gripping and it's just a great thriller early in his career Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's gone on to get some acclaim and some cult notice now Mm -hmm. um but it is it was a tv movie so it didn't even play in the theaters when it came out Mm -hmm. uh based on a short story by a famous science fiction uh horror and fantasy writer matheson um, Richard Matheson, who wrote yeah. I Am Legend, but he yep. did a lot for Twilight Zone. Yep. And it's got that sort of like Twilight Zone vibe about it. Like, why is this happening? Mm. Um, and and just, the, it just ratchets, ratchets up the tension. So I think it's a great, great uh, early film. Uh, often not called his first film because Sugarland Express was the first one in theaters, but mm-hmm. a great early TV film by... Uh, steven spielberg so that's the one if you ask me right now adam what do you want to watch in the 70s spielberg that's the one i would pick okay perfect um i'm going to put my flag in the ground in the 80s i'm going with the raiders of the lost ark it's probably the best adventure film in the last 40 years uh especially the section from the point where Indiana Jones goes into the the well of the souls to find the location of the ark till pretty much uh, he escapes with the ark and the truck. Um, I mean, that's like an hour, but it's like such a solid hour with like one sequence just like seamlessly flowing into the other. And so much happens. Like he finds where the ark is. They dig up the ark. Uh, they get trapped inside. The Nazis take the ark. He thinks it's being loaded on the plane. He fights the the, the giant Nazi the the plane blows up he finds out they're moving the arc out on the truck he rides the horse chases down the truck gets on the truck fights all the nazis on the truck and then steals the truck uh shoves uh the the evil archaeologist uh belloc off the road and then uh escapes with the arc and then that's that's like a solid like 45 minutes to an hour and time flows it just flies by i it was raiders was on tv uh last weekend or the weekend before and i just watched that section of it that's all that's it, it kind of just works on its own as just like a solid piece of just action um and it, it's just it's it's a marvel of like practical stunts editing music uh performance too because you know indiana jones was like one of the first maybe not the first but in terms of like big screen heroes in terms like deconstructing these like leading men um, you know, types uh, where, where you see the wear and tear on him through the film. Like, my, it's honestly one of the best character moments in just about any movie is when the big 
the big lug Nazi comes out of the tent, sees Indiana Jones on the plane, and then starts screaming at him in German, like, get down here so I can beat you up. And Indiana and just Indiana Jones reaction, like, oh, okay, give me a minute. <laughs> give me a minute to come down from the plane and we'll have a fight, whatever. It's 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 beautiful. It's it's you know, there's so much great character work, so much great action. Um, it's it's damn near close to perfect. And I don't, and then, and, you know, you could, I know people make the arguments like, well, nothing really happens because, you know, the, if, if Indiana Jones had not gotten involved, the movie would have turned out exactly the same because the arc would have never been found. Uh, but I, you know, shut up. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a per, it's almost a perfect movie. So I'm st- st- putting my flag in the ground for Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's awesome. That's my 80s pick. It's a great draft pick. That, okay. That was number two on my 80s. <gasps> I pick E.T. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, it was from the 80s. Um, yeah, first film I saw in a movie theater. So it's got some sentimental value. And then it was in the theaters for quite a while before it came on VHS. And I remember, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, my parents got me the VHS whenever like 80, 80 89 when it came out yeah and then i was like the superstar of my class because um <laughs> we uh like over christmas we weren't doing any work and back when the teachers would like wheel in the tv with the vcr that's right that's yeah. right so i had the et so we watched et i remember that and uh yeah it was just, it's uh it's a, obviously a great uplifting movie um when you watch it as you grow older, you can see, you know, some of the negative undertones and mm. we're reviewing the Fablemans later and, you know, the sort of broken marriage aspects and stuff like that. But it just was, yeah, a magical movie when it came out. Um, just, I love how it's so like down to earth in the mm-hmm. suburban environment. Mm. It's not like fantastical from the outset. It's just, kids being kids goofing around making fun of each other <laughs> and then all of a sudden you know here's this extraterrestrial who's who's shown up on the scene and and, and i think it's just uh it's just the interactions obviously drew barrymore became a star from it but her interactions with et and, and her surprise when she sees him or shock or scream or uh, dressing him up. Um, the fact <laughs> that Elliot's so connected to him, mm. uh, which makes sense when you learn that it was based on Steven Spielberg's imaginary friend when mm. his parents were going through a divorce. That's uh, who E.T. was based on. Uh, so there's those touching scenes with Elliot and then the comical ones where they're tied together and ET's at home drinking a beer during the day and watching TV <laughs> and Elliot's connected, connected to him. Um, and it, uh, yeah, it de- definitely, uh, was so popular at the time and it really, really sort of like, I think his earlier movie, like definitely like jaws and then star Wars with George Lucas before that sort of changed cinema into, more of the blockbusters mm. um, line up around the corner to see a movie kind of thing. Mm. But ET extended that. And I think it brought it to a new realm with children's entertainment. Cause 
I hate to say it's a kid's movie, but it's often labeled that and mm. a real precursor to what came later um, with animated films um, coming to the fore. And, you know, so many people didn't matter what age you were, you would watch E.T. and you, you would you would get something out of it. Um, mm. Adults, kids, everyone. So I I, you know, really enjoyed it. Um, I continue to enjoy it. I've watched it. I've mm. watched it. I've watched it maybe 10 to a dozen times. I must say, I hope as I grow up and get more cynical, I don't start to <laughs> not like the last time I watched it, I was kind of the John Williams score was, I, I thought was a bit manipulative, you know, it's kind of like, okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's just me being critical, I guess, but overall it's just, just wonderful entertainment. And it has a, uh, has a message there about loneliness and sort of a broken home and, and how hard it is to grow up and mm-hmm. being an outsider, obviously, mm-hmm. and paranoia about outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot there and I think it's, it's an excellent film. And okay. it just edged out Raiders of the Lost Ark because I agree with everything you said about that as well. So, all right, what a great enough. period for Steven Spielberg. I we're really uh, <laughs> breaking news here. He was really good in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's it's kind of like the easiest category to sort of if you if to find like one or two. Um, so I'm gonna fast forward to the aughts for my next pick, and I'm going to choose Catch Me If You Can. Um, which nice. is, you know, maybe not the obvious one because, you know, there's like Munich and Minority Report and uh, w- which are both kind of like really solid movies on their own. But, you know, catch them if you can. You have like this great team up of DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It's uh, a multifaceted story. Um, it's, you know, it's a story about, you know, heists and being a con artist and, you know, the the glamour of you know the 60s and air travel and uh at, at the heart of it though there's this story of like a son trying to make his father proud of him though it, it and it, you can sort of see the pivot this is kind of where the pivot is between how spielberg relates to his dad and the fablemans and between the way spielberg is kind of like perpetually angry at his dad in like the early 80s with things like et as you're saying this is kind of the pivot point. He's like, oh, yeah, my dad isn't who I thought he was, but maybe that's okay, too. It's okay to love him and forgive him, and um, I'm I'm going to explore that through this real-life story of Frank Abagnale, who was an e- exceptionally gifted thief and con artist who was able to pretend to be a lawyer, a pilot, and a doctor at various points in his career, and sometimes simultaneously. Sometimes simultaneously. Um, and also, like, the kind of rare friendships that can develop with the, the Tom Hanks FBI agent character who's like rigid, like kind of strictly like Hoover molded FBI where it's like the rules are the rules and that's it. Um, and, and how these two come to an understanding and, and form a unique partnership and friendship. So um, I like catch me if you can a lot. Plus the score is kick-ass. It's one of like William's top five scores, I think. Um, so it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm putting, I'm, I'm taking catch me if you can off the board. So that's, that's my two thousands pick. 
Nice pick. Yeah, I was. Yeah, for the aughts, I was considering that one actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was number two on my aughts. Okay, but I will. I'll pick the. I did for the aughts. It was neck and neck between Catch Me If You Can and I picked Minority Report for mm-hmm. my aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I think it's it's you know such a such a great science fiction film mm-hmm. based on a Philip K. Dick short story. I'd like to see Spielberg do maybe more of this nowadays, um, mm. or get back to this. Um, I I just I just think it's it's riveting from beginning to end the end's sort of like a happy ending there can be some Mm. criticism for that but Mm. um and there might be some like philip k dick hardcore fans who know the story and (laughs) maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't abide by it all the way through but i think it i think it's uh it's great and it's great you did philip k dick because just you know blade runner even Mm. total recall enjoy man in the high castle story yeah, so it's just something that with the visual flair that Steven Spielberg can bring to a movie, um, and I think it's excellently cast with Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. who say what you want about him in his personal life, he's just he can really carry a movie, right? And he's been doing yeah. it for years. Yeah. So this is over twenty years old now. Yeah. And it's such an interesting concept about the pre-crime division and stopping murders before they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the, uh, the psychics who can, who can figure out when, um, when the crime's going to take place, mm-hmm. I give a bit of a window, not much of a window minutes before the police can go and, and stop the crime from being perpetrated. It's, it's a very fascinating, uh, fascinating topic for a film and then in the lead uh tom cruise excellent and then when he sees himself as the uh as the perpetrator as the uh, murderer Mm. and then he has to escape justice in this really rigid system where uh you can be like it's hard to escape the police. It's just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how are you going to escape? You have to replace your eyeballs basically. To yeah, uh, uh, and it says a lot of fascinating things about the future, like the retina scans for advertising, and mm. and I think that's all captured really well in in the film. And and yeah, and once again, I think Spielberg with the cast, uh, Tom Cruise is excellent. Mm. You have Colin Farrell earlier. Mm early version of Colin Farrell is sort of an antagonist FBI agent who's great. Max von Sydow, the classic (laughs) actor who's in all the Ingmar Bergman films as, uh, as this top boss in the pre-crime division. Um, And it all works, all works really well. And uh, yeah, I just, I just think it. uh, it's great because it's just a topic where he could let a little more darkness in. Mm-hmm. Um, I find with a lot of Spielberg movies, some of his recent ones too, they're because he, he, he does a lot of historical stuff, especially recently and that's fine, but it's all, 
seems almost smoothed over in a way. Like he's not really getting at the dark elements as much sometimes. And with this one, it's just, there's, there's darkness to it. You have, you know, you have people who will commit crimes to get, to get away with other crimes. And it's just, it is just something I'd, I think he could get back to, I think again, it just, having darker elements, murder, science fiction, visual effects. He does it from time to time, but I think with this, it it made me think, you know, like 2002, that's over 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, it'd be nice to, nice to see him get back in this sort of subject matter. Um, once again, it's based on a short story, uh, just like Duel was, and I think if he could get like really good source material, especially short stories, maybe I think he could, uh, he could, he could get back to this. Cause I, I thought this was riveting from, from the get go. And it's a great, great thriller, great science fiction film and mm-hmm. outstanding lead performance by Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, Minority report would have been my backup pick. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it is it is really solid and i it, i completely spit even though catch me if you can in my inter- interestingly the way spielberg does these things where he can release two great movies in the same year minority for catch me if you can came out in the same year i just that just occurred to me all right yeah, i'm wild. i'm gonna go back to the 70s for my next pick and i'm gonna I, since you left jaws on the table i'm grabbing jaws um so I mean, what is what can be said about this movie at this point? Uh, although I did note, given what happens in Fablemans, um, somebody noted that there are a lot of shots in Jaws where the horizons in the middle, and it was still pretty interesting. But uh, it, it's, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's you know the the lore around this movie. I you know the the difficulties, the fact that as you as you noted, like Steven Spielberg already had the reputation as kind of this wunderkind. And this was go- this was going to be his big break, and everyone's like looking at this being his big break, and then all these reports coming out of problems on set, problems with the shark, problems with the the this going over schedule, over budget, and it just you know you looked at this and it's like kind of doomed to failure, but it's not. It comes out, and it turns out all the problems he had, the fact that the shark wouldn't work, were godsends because it forced him to get really really creative, like the whole thing with the barrels that came out of the fact that the shark didn't work and you kind of you kind of come to terms that there's a difference between making great spectacle and great art um sometimes they're the same thing but sometimes they're not and you know despite the advancements in technology and things you can do anything it turns out that just like the simplest things are are even more effective and the barrels in the jaws is a great example of that so you had this movie plagued with problems but also plagued with opportunity problem you know crisis and opportunity and uh you know it it really did show off people thought this was going to be like the end of the the sort of the spielberg legend and it turns out that it, it was kind of the beginning um he did live up to the reputation as a wunderkind even though um he was experiencing all these problems on set and so uh a legend is born jaws is still incredibly effective to this day people still watch it people still thrill to it and um man versus nature uh you know the three men out in the ocean uh 
<laughs> just you know the shark the threat of the shark um it's it's not even that gory even yeah but we still think of it as incredibly frightening and yeah it, the inf- the effectiveness of this thing going on 50 years old too so think about that yeah in a couple years yeah yeah all right so uh tim you have to you have to pick something from the 90s and the 10s actually so do i too so we, the 90s and the 10s are what's left Okay, Adam, I'll go with the 90s. Mm-hmm. And this was neck and neck for me mm-hmm. between Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. So on the one end, you know, an amazing film about World War II, um, Oscar Schindler mm-hmm. helping, helping 1,100 Jews escape. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Spielberg bringing dinosaurs to the big screen, but mm-hmm. I went, which which is amazing at the time. That was so amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm debating right now in my head which one. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh! Got to got to oh, play one. Can only play one. Oh. <laughs> um, you know what? Hmm. I think I'll go with Jurassic Park. All right. He put his stake in the ground for Jurassic Park. Schindler's List, I don't know, might be a better movie, but I just think Jurassic Park, it was kind of revolutionary when it came out. Mm -hmm. We all go to school and we like learn about dinosaurs and see pictures and people put the archaeologists and stuff get the bones and put them together in museums and we see the the finished product for dinosaurs Mm -hmm. what they may have looked at like but this it was revolutionary when it came out the fact you're seeing dinosaurs on the big screen realistic dinosaurs it was wild (laughs) at the time it was like wow this is happening and you know based on the michael creighton uh Michael Crichton novel. So it helps once again, I think it helps when he has good source material mm-hmm. um, and it, it's strong source material. And the, um, the whole concept really interesting about, you know, the steam park for dinosaurs. And obviously that's rife with possibilities of chaos yeah. and violence. And so it's not too hard to understand what's going to happen, but the way it's played out, um, it's terrific. When you see the dinosaur, when the dinosaurs first appear, you're, you, you've got like a jump scare for for the dinosaurs. Um, and then the cast, really interesting cast. I would say Jeff Goldblum is like the nerdy <laughs> scientist. He definitely has the shtick going, the neurotic shtick going, and. Uh, works really well um but yeah the whole cast is is amazing in this and of course it's led to a whole franchise but mm. you can never beat the first one usually no. you can't right yeah. um just sort of the novelty of it at the time and the action and just how it made you made you feel watching it the sort of the exhilaration of it um definitely definitely an awesome movie Mm -hmm. 
don't want to downplay Schindler's List, though, because that really <laughs> affected me. But I've seen Jurassic Park more, so that's probably why I'm picking that one. Because Schindler's List, I remember, affected me when I saw it. Mm. And it was really affected me. And then I've only watched it maybe once or twice since then. Yeah. Whereas Jurassic Park, once again, had it on VHS, watched it multiple times. And Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Laura Dern, amazing, Richard, Richard Attenborough. Mm. Just a great cast and uh, yeah, a great start to that franchise, um, <laughs> which has had kind of mixed results since then. But it was amazing to see dinosaurs on screen. Like that's a real achievement. Very mixed results. And yeah, I, I, I'll make my 90s pick now because yeah, you think about the best of Spielberg, you think of Schindler's List. But I mean, that's that's not a movie so much as sort of like a, a memorial um, it, it seems like a three and a half hour memorial to you know people who suffered and died in the Holocaust. It's it's like it's not a movie you watch. It's kind of like an experience you undertake. And uh, I mean, I remember when they showed it on TV uh, for the first time. They showed it without commercials, and this was like on on network television. Um, they ran it without commercials because it just it it it, it felt icky to, to put to, to air Schindler's List and then yeah now here's an ad for our McDonald's and a car it's yeah. yeah so since you took Jurassic Park I'm taking Saving Private Ryan which um you know is probably one of the greatest war movies of all time I mean there there are sort of pacing bits in the middle that I think are, are sort of tricky because, because you get this great start with this like 30 minute battle on the beaches of Normandy. That is like documentary style. It's verite. It's, um, it's bloody, it's gory, it's visceral. Um, and then most of the rest of the movie is, is watching this team of eight soldiers walking through the French countryside um, <laughs> with occasional stops for a battle. Um, but, you know, the the end battle too this this sort of like harrowing it it there, there's a kind of very magnificent seven feel though Ma- magnificent seven is kind of a mediocre movie but um in, in terms of like watching this team that you've sort of been with the whole movie and watching them fight this hopeless battle or almost hopeless um and sort of see like watching them fall one at a time and all in the name of like saving one guy it, it's 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 at once a veneration of the generation who fought World War II, but it's also at the same time sort of like deeply pessimistic. It's like, you know, there's there's a literal line in the movie where one of the, the soldiers, I think it's the Edward Bird's character, says like, you know, they're sending eight people to save one guy. Like, what the hell? Uh, that's not a direct line, but it's, it's essentially the message of the film that, you know, in this in this great, massive, you know, epic struggle uh between tyranny and freedom eight people are sent to save one guy because he's the last brother standing and there's a kind there's a there's there's hopelessness and hopefulness in this action in in equal measure that is very interesting and i think spielberg captures that well also another great tom hanks uh role in a spielberg movie all right well that brings us to the tens and twenties um, and perhaps it speaks to the difficulty in picking one that we've kind of left this era, to, <laughs> this Spielbira to last. So, Tim, uh, yeah. draw, draw your draw your card on this one. Yeah, Adam. So it's too bad we avoided this till the end because this is the one 
tens and twenties is what I had the toughest time with because I haven't seen a lot of his films from this period. Mm -hmm. And the ones I have seen, they have good elements to them, Mm -hmm. good historical dramas, Mm -hmm. but they're also almost feel like Spiel, uh, just Spielberg Spielberg so white almost like <laughs> just like white men yeah it's, yeah it's fair. just like overrun with uh with white men and women getting them coffee and stuff and <laughs> it, I know that's the, it's I know the time, that's the time period too. yeah <laughs> that's a period or whatever but like I don't know like I don't know, get a little diversity or do something more recent. Like you're, you're good. You've, you're a great filmmaker. Um, but like quick, the closest he's gotten to modern fifties or whatever. Yeah. The closest he's gotten to the modern day is the post, which is like the seventies and ready player one, which I think takes place in the 2050s or something like that. So, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen ready player one. So I actually almost want to watch that because the ones I have seen <laughs> are, you're fine. It's fine. Anyway. Bridge of Spies and the Post. Okay. Um, and Fablemans and West Side Story. Mm-hmm. And I would say West Side Story, I was entertained by it at the time, but it's mm. kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pointless. <laughs> um, the Post, yeah, it's got a good story about it, but I'd say in the Post and Bridge of Spies, um, I Tom Hanks... Mm. I don't not a big fan of him in those movies to tell you the truth not not like I saw a beautiful day in the neighborhood in the last few years and I'm like okay that's Tom Hanks back to <laughs> where he needs to be but in these historical ones it's although that it was historical I guess from the 80s yeah. or whatever so yeah yeah I just they just didn't didn't work for me so I was almost wondering if I could trade my pick for like a Denny Villeneuve pick or something <laughs> I'm not sure that's how this works. <laughs> Draft day trade. Um. <laughs> what, why don't I go? Why don't I just okay. do my? I'm go going to stick my flag in the ground for Lincoln. I, I just feel like it's, I haven't seen it. So yeah, yeah. It's it's the most in terms of degree of difficulties. Like how do you boil down Lincoln's life into a film? Well, you, maybe not tell the whole story, but tell this one very specific story about like perhaps the, the enduring legacy of the man, which was the passage of the 13th Amendment, because it also like undermines kind of the mythology of Lincoln, which is that he um, you know, the, he cannot tell a lie, but he certainly employed people who liked a lie. Um, and that and that was kind of like the, the end runaround of how he gets the 13th Amendment passed with um skullduggery and bribery and you know making promises and political appointments and and all of this that you know you would think for for the man who did not who who could not tell a lie or whatever the 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 line is about lincoln um well (laughs) a lot of shady stuff went around to passing the 13th amendment i mean it was all for a good cause of course but um the film does the film has a lot of fun with with sort of like where the mythology of lincoln begins and um how shrewd a, a political operative he was in order to like accomplish this thing which he will probably be remembered for till the end of time and of course you get a great daniel day lewis performance this is the only time 
you get DDL in a, in a Spielberg movie. And if, if you're going to get uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in a Spielberg movie, um, playing Lincoln probably is uh, top shelf um, a, a role to, to bring that considerable acting talent to. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's it's probably it'll probably stand as the best Lincoln movie. Maybe young Mr. Lincoln. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's definitely, it was definitely a movie of the time to release in 2012, the beginning of Barack Obama's second term. It's um, it, it, the timing was right. Uh, the, the performances were, you know, close to perfect Spielberg at the top of his game. And yeah, it's, I'm I'm I I I think I think there's a lot to admire about Lincoln. Lincoln understanding what you said about um Spielberg's era of old white men, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I need to see that one. Well, it was writ- it was written by Tony Kushner as well, right? Just like the Fablemans. Yes, that's true as well. So we've been a good frame of reference. I should have checked that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. That, that uh, yeah, the, if I was to pick, then but we're not allowed to pick. I pick the Fablemans because it's all right. Not... I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it. <laughs> it's not. Spoiler alert! It, it wasn't. It didn't blow my mind, but it was. Mm, it was like an eight out of ten. And some of these other movies from that two I've seen, Bridge of Spies and The Post, they both had like elements that captured me, and I really enjoyed like the history elements of them, but mm-hmm. I think the, the Fablemans he's like going back to more filmmaking from the heart. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like obviously yeah. it's semi-autobiographical. You look back at the other films we were talking about before, like, uh, like ET for instance, like that was mm-hmm. personal, although it was a spectacle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Fablemans, it, 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 just more personal filmmaking um, I think like with West Side Story, he's trying to do spectacle again, he's like, he's always wanted to do West Side Story. It's a musical. And it's like, mm. do we need a remake of that? I know it got good reviews. People liked it. I was entertained by it, but is mm. there, is there much point to it? Whereas the Fablemans, I think it gets, he's at least striving to, yeah, to uh, get, get his demons out there um, to, make something a little more personal yeah uh that's well written with great acting as well great casting so all right um that would be the one from that period but i've only seen a a couple movies so i'd have to definitely (laughs) check out more of his from the tens and all right fair enough fair enough fair enough all right so uh, to recap, Tim's list is from the 70s Duel, from the 80s E.T., from the 90s Jurassic Park, from the aughts Minority Report, and from the 20- from the 10s and the 20s, The Fablemans. Mine is from the 70s Jaws, from the 80s Raiders, from the 90s Saving Private Ryan, from the aughts Catch Me If You Can, and from the 10s and the 20s Lincoln. So we're going to take a break and then take a deeper dive into the Fablemans. Following the break, you are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, 12th Campus and Community Radio.
editing machine works while you do this, it'll make your mom feel better. Yeah. That last night when she danced in the headlights, that'd be great. Get to it tomorrow, okay? Um, tomorrow's when we start shooting. <laughs> Escape to nowhere. We're shooting all weekend. Shooting Dad, this weekend. We got like forty guys coming to be in the movie. I'll, I'll work on all the camping trips stuff on Monday. I'm asking you to do this now for your mom. Yeah, She's... and I said that I will, just not tomorrow. Don't Please. be selfish. She just lost her mother. That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? It'll cheer her up watching this. It's something we can her do. Her mom to, just to... died. It's, it's not, was that going to cheer her up? Because you made it for her. Okay, that was a clip from The Fablemans. It's the new film from co-writer and director Steven Spielberg, and it stars Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Gabrielle LaBelle, Matteo Zorian, Francis DeFord, Judd Hirsch, and David Lynch as John Ford. Um yeah <laughs> great it's 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 yeah. great it's great casting it's a great cameo i i admit though i i do wonder I, my my thing with spielberg is that he tends to go a little far at the end like if like when you get to the end of a spielberg movie a lot of spielberg movies it feels like he's poking you in the back going you see you see you see he does you know he does that in the post when it it you know uh it's either uh, Meryl Streep or Tom Hanks who says like nothing nothing this crazy will happen in Washington ever again and then it smash cuts to the Watergate break in and it's yeah, just like yeah yeah, yeah Stephen I know what happened next in American history I'm that <laughs> but I think most people watching that would yeah that's yeah. not going for the demographics like what Watergate yeah it's like wait Watergate yeah. came after this is this are, is he setting up a sequel um <laughs> yeah. Although that would have been interesting too, if he remade all the president's men as a continue. Anyway, uh, Fablemans. Uh, what were your? You, you've talked a bit about your thoughts, Tim, but uh, I'll let you uh, expand on that a little. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a great, um, great story about obviously semi autobiographical for uh, Steven Spielberg. Mm. Excellent movie showing like the love of movies. Mm. Um, one of the opening scenes they go to see was it like the greatest show on earth? I think yep. like the yep. Cecil B. DeMille yep. film, the big extravaganza. He sees that and it blows his mind. And it's interesting that obviously as a kid seeing that, not, he doesn't first thing he doesn't want is uh, he, he's not looking for a film camera. He's sees the train sequence and he wants a model train. So mm-hmm. his parents get him this model train and then he starts playing around with the camera to, to try to reenact the train crash from Grey show on earth and does a great job with that. And it just shows his love <laughs> of cinema. Um, and then of course the main crux of the movie is the dissolution of his parents' marriage. Um, and I, I thought this was handled really well. And I thought the casting was terrific because you've got Paul Dano and Michelle Williams who, Mm-hmm. are two of the best actors out there playing his mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. um seth rogan does well in a supporting role as the other man mm-hmm. in the situation uh and it's uh it it's it's great it, it it's a great film showing from the child's perspective like we'd go back in the 
earlier segment, we we're talking about ET from the child's perspective, and mm. here are the young Steven Spielberg, and what, what what's he seeing, and and you can feel that like if you moved as a child anywhere, you know what it's like to be the new kid in mm. school, or, and what it's like to to travel, the how big things feel, you know. So he goes from New Jersey in the film, but in real life, I think he was Cincinnati, Ohio, but they made a mm. New Jersey in the film. Mm. Mm-hmm. They moved to Arizona quite a cultural difference and you see the you know the vistas of uh of arizona the going from you know the east coast to the desert and then following him to california all based on his father's job his father's like this computer expert before there were personal computers back in the days of like ibm massive computers back in the <laughs> yeah there's a funny scene where where they they're talking at the dinner table about changing the tapes and how they lose yeah. time changing the tapes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's just a different time and i did criticize him earlier for like some of his historical films that are like in the 50s like with white mm. male casts but with this i feel like it, it's fitting because it is his personal history and uh Michelle Williams is this conflicted mother, more more artistic mother, mm. gives an excellent performance. And then Paul Dano is sort of the straight-laced, you know, he's the computer guy. He's the guy, him and Seth Rogen changing the tapes, like you said, and the <laughs> massive supercomputers and him having to travel for work mm. and uprooting the family. Uh, it, it's handled, handled really well. Um, yeah, Paul- I would... Paul Dano's the MVP here. I think I agree. Yeah. I, I, you know, he doesn't get the flashy part that, that Williams gets. And so, so, I mean, I understand why she was nominated. I don't begrudge her for getting nominated for playing or for playing the part big. I think the part, you know, and Spielberg has talked about his mother and how, you know, she was less apparent and more of like a babysitter figure. And um, so, so I, I understand that, but you know, there, there, there are all these like, and maybe it shows how Spielberg sort of changed and how he looks at his dad too. There's like, there's a lot of these scenes where you just sort of, you, you get that connection with, um, oh, what's the father's name? Uh, Cause uh, Bert, Bert Fableman, um, where you get that connection with him, uh, you know, where you, you're sort of like looking right at him and, and watching, you know, disappointment or, like regret and you know there's just this bittersweet feeling directed to the father um and how you know he he has to be the straight lace one it's almost like he he's like beat the straight man by accident partially because he's like an engineer and that's kind of his his disposition but also because the, the mother mitzi is kind of so outrageous he has to cue even closer to like keeping his keeping his cards close he's the guy who you know he's making big moves obviously as like because his job and his success is you know uprooting the family every couple of years um so like that's his kind of (laughs) that's his only contribution to sort of the craziness in this household but even that has like practical purpose because he's a a successful computer engineer and you know he's he's kind of a, a man that companies want uh to hire and and headhunt and um, he he can't do the extravagant thing, which is like bringing a monkey into the house and 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, the wild. <laughs> Adding chaos to the house. He's the yeah. orderly one. Yeah, exactly. And I, I agree with you on that, Adam. Um, a film like this, like, I can easily tear up during movies. Mm. I can mm-hmm. I can be kind of like waterworks. And I didn't didn't cry at all during this movie, but the one moment when I almost did was Paul Dano when he at near the end when he lives in the apartment with mm. uh, Steven Spielberg and the um we're calling him Steven Spielberg. What's it? Fableman. Sammy Sammy Fableman. Sammy Fableman. <laughs> um <laughs> Sammy obviously Steven Spielberg. Sammy Fableman uh, and like his parents have separated and Sammy gets a card in the mail with pictures of his mother with her new boyfriend played by Seth Rogen and, mm-hmm. and other pictures and uh, the father sees it. And Paul Dano, just his reaction to seeing that. Oh, just the it's heart crushing. It's heart crushing. Yeah, it's like, I think for me, that's the mo- moment of the film right there because it's just, so much empathy for him mm. but it's just one of those situations where they don't really fit together those like his parents aren't really meant to be together they don't mm. they don't connect anymore if they ever truly did before but they don't connect now yeah it's just the way it way it has to be but yet you feel such such hurt for him and that performance and he's not overdoing anything he's just sort of reacting to what he sees in these photographs and Mm-hmm. And you can see the hurt in his eyes. And that's a really, really strong scene in, in the film. And it's one of these um, things that make it like it, it make it makes the f- f- Fableman seem like so mismarketed. It, you know, you see the trailer and it makes it look like it's of a kin with like Empire of Light, which is all like, aren't movies great? And it's yeah. it, 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 what I found interesting about this. It's like it's almost a deconstruction of of that idea. And there's a scene where the parents announce that they're splitting up and you see, you know, the, his sisters are all sitting on the couch together and he's like separated from the group because he's, he's had known this is coming for a while and he's standing on the stairs and he's looking in the mirror and he sees this vision of himself filming the scene of the family breaking up. And it's, it feels like it's a commentary on him and all his discussion about how like movies are his way of like get, of having therapy and gaining control. And it's like, it's, it's like this out of body vision where he's thinking about filming. This is a way to gain control uh, because it's like a moment that's completely and totally outside of his control is the, the breakup of the family. Um, the, the whole scene later with um, where he, he films ditch day. And this yeah. guy, the, the kid that's been bullying him, Logan, who's <laughs> who's like this perfect Aryan specimen, by the way, which just yeah. heightens all the anti-Semitism. Um, yeah. it, it's, it, you know, Logan confronts him because Spielberg's made him the hero of this Digiday film, like showing him like hit the volleyball and spiking it over the net and winning the, the relay race and all that. And Logan's like, why did you make me look at that? And he's like, it's what the camera saw. And it's like, you, you understand, right? This guy's been like harassing you because you're Jewish and it's California and there's anti-Semitism in the 1960s and, and all of that. It's like, well, it's what the camera saw. And what I found very interesting was, again, it's, it's kind of deconstructing things because he's playing the, he's playing the film at the prom and 
he's going he just broke up with his girlfriend he's going through all this stuff his parents are breaking up he has you know he he's going he doesn't want to go to college he wants to go to la start making movies and all that and he sees the reaction it has on the his classmates his classmates are loving it and then he looks over and sees logan watching it and he sees logan sort of He's smiling a little at the film, and then you see the smile drop as he's like sort of processing how the camera is seeing him and how Spielberg has edited all this. And Spielberg's watching him watch the movie. It's there's so much going on. It's 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 so like the complexity of of the emotion and how film shapes shapes our narrative, even makes us question how we shape our own narrative if if it's a film about us he's logan's watching this movie being where where he's essentially being treated as the golden god that a lot of people that that a lot of his classmates essentially treat him as in real life but then to see it reflected back at him in the film is is this like crazy emotional like almost psychologically disturbed experience for him and sammy's watching him sort of process all that it's Oh, there's just so much going on in that scene, and it's it's almost it's dialogue free. It's kids sitting there watching the movie. It's just expressions cutting back and forth, and it's wild. And and you know Spielberg, and he's talked a lot about this too, uh, about you know staging things perfectly. And a lot of people have said that you know uh, there's that Spielberg documentary that was on HBO a couple of years ago where they were talking about how we made the color purple and how everything is like perfect you know even though it's this terrible well it's not a terrible movie but it's a movie about how this black woman suffers terrible abuse like (laughs) every every almost every moment of her life but it looks beautiful the world that this abuse take takes place in looks beautiful in the fablemans though it feels like he's kind of responding to that too because there's all these little moments of imperfection like again at the prom scene there's this kid playing the um playing the 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 trombone as, as as the band is playing walk on by and you you he's not playing it well <laughs> and it's this little thing it's this little detail where this kid is playing the trombone and he sucks at it he sucks at this little trombone solo in the middle of this song <laughs> and again it's spielberg that's sort of like commenting on himself it's like you know what maybe i have been making this too perfect all along and i'm throwing in these little imperfections and these little details to sort of say as sort of as like a way of letting go of old bad habits there's yeah and again this is like the prom scene at the end and there's so much going on yeah i've tried showing warts and all in his personal life and even like his filmmaking yeah um and yeah like his his filmmaking is such a part of this this movie like Mm. you're saying makes me think of there's the scene with mitzi his mother mitzi and him in his room mm-hmm. um because he's filmed their camping trip mm-hmm. and he's putting that together for his father it's like his father's last ditch effort to make mitzi happy in the marriage is for yeah her to see the camping trip movie that uh, yeah. sammy's working on and then there's this scene i think like in his closet in his bedroom it's like uh well actually the scene be- scenes before that is sammy it's almost like the movie blow up yeah where yeah. that's right you know, and he's probably in, uh, spielberg is probably influenced by antonioni's blow up because that's like from the 60s right when he's gonna yeah. start so instead of 
in blow up in that movie the photographer is thinking that he's taking a photograph of a murder so he keeps zooming in and looking to see where the murder took place yeah and in this it's uh it's sammy with this uh fancy editing machine his father's purchased him Mm -hmm. going back and forth to find these scenes at during the camping trip of mitzi and benny yeah, supposedly just the friend who's along for the ride for the camping trip. Them, them being, you know, them holding hands and uh, being close to each other and looking yeah. like it's more than friendship. Yeah, and he pieces this all together, and then when he when he releases the camping trip movie to the family, he's cut out all that out. That's all in the editing room floor, and he's made a he director's put- cut of the <laughs> the secret yeah. relationship. It's <laughs> directors commits he can watch it yeah and see that he knows and it's the only way he can there. and it's it's like after this period where he's been like treating her coldly and like giving her the cold shoulder and it's after this blow up where she hits him um and the only way he can like talk to her about it is to show her the director's cut of the camping trip and all these little outtakes of of her and benny going off together and and holding hands and you know, being in the corner of the action where like Bert and the kids are, you know, setting fire. Well, I'm, they're not burning down the forest, but like making fires and running around and, you know, doing the stuff you do on a camping trip. And then in the, off in the corner, you see Benny and, and Mitzi, you know, walking off frame. And it's, there's, there's just this real emotional pull that he can't talk to her about it. He can only show it to her through film. To say, like, I know something's going on here, and it's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, and it, it it it's yeah an interesting character study on Spielberg that he can sh- only sh- show this through film, or Sammy being being him in the movie, yeah, can only show this through film. Yeah, but like, I guess one criticism I'd have for the Fablemans is maybe it doesn't go far enough. But that's sort of mm. the Spielberg thing, right? Like, mm. okay, so. Mitzi is with Benny, but she says, "Oh, they they've ne- they haven't done anything together." Like it, mm. it's just so innocent, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, they've just been holding hands, or maybe they kissed once or something. It's just so innocent that mm. I don't know. Like as a therapeutic thing, he's not really digging that that deep. I guess this is as far as you'll get some, made from Spielberg, right? Like he wants. To still yeah. portray his parents in a nice light, not maybe get like there are moments there's arguing and stuff, but there are it's never really gets too intense or anything from my perspective. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of how far does he want to go, and you can sort of in the anti-Semitism he experiences in high school too. There's a lot of that too. It's like they hang a bagel up in his uh, locker and they use a couple of ethnic slurs and that's kind of all you get in terms of that. And, and, you know, Spielberg has talked a lot about being a self-hating Jew um, because he would live in places where he would be, you know, the only Jewish kid around. And um, there's that scene at the beginning too, where they're driving home from the movies and his father says, you know, all the, you know, it's funny. Everything looks different in the dark and it's around Christmas time. And so all the houses have lights on it. And so the father says it's, 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 you know, hard to make out, the neighborhood in the dark you know I, I wonder which house is our house and sammy just sort of like resigns and say our house is the one without the lights mm-hmm. 
and yeah. that's that again that's kind of like the most you get in terms of you know how he's you know again talked very openly about his experience being kind of a self-hating jew on the other hand this happens in the john ford scene where he goes to meet john ford um there's he 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 goes to do an interview at CBS, and the the producer who's like one of the co-creators of Hogan's Heroes, as it turns out, says to him, "Hey, you want to go and meet? You know, the, one of the greatest living filmmakers of all time has an office across the hall. You want to go meet him?" And so, uh, the, the producer walks him in. He sits him down, and I guess until that point, he hadn't been explained who the filmmaker was, and he's looking around. And he sees all the posters on the wall, and they're all John Ford posters and like stagecoach and all that. But the one he kind of settles on in, in terms of his gaze is um, the man who shot Liberty Valance, which of course is, and I'm, I'm getting this from from Chris Evangelista from his podcast 21st Century Spielberg, who noted this. Like he, he his gaze settles on that poster, which has the famous line, um, "Print the legend." You know, if if it if there's a if there's a difference between the truth and what actually happened and the legend print the legend. And I feel like Steven Spielberg's like saying, you know what? I haven't entirely been honest with this movie, but this is the story I'm going with. And yeah, I, I think there's a, again, it's, it's a bit of self-awareness in that too. It's like, you know what? I have plastered over some of the holes in the wall and made it look better than it was, but this is the lead. This is the story I'm telling. I'm printing the legend. Yeah. And the man who shot Liberty Valance, him and his friends go to watch that at one point in the film. Yeah, so right. it's good at c- connecting back to John Ford and his love of John Ford movies mm-hmm. and David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> that I really enjoyed that scene, but it does seem almost out of place, but I liked it. But yeah. at the same time, it's sort of, sort of tacked on at the end because a movie that's so, uh, so ref- sort of refined in a way and subtle mm-hmm. and then you've got this character throwing out f-bombs and like <laughs> he's just, just lo- yeah he's just, he's just got an eye patch yeah he's got an eye patch on and yeah, yeah it's it's i'm i'm fine with it because it's it, the, the the performance is so funny um but there's another <laughs> performance then like boris right Judd oh yeah Hirsch, Judd Hirsch. yeah 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 who's a former film worker and he eats like a savage for some reason. And he's it's like, great. It's great. It's yeah. five minutes of perfection. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I love Judd Hirsch. Don't think I would have nominated him for an Oscar for it though. It just seems like mm, yeah. there must be other performances that are better than that. But yeah, it, it, once again, it's, it's giving Sammy sort of an, uh, seeing outside of his sphere he's in and like what's possible. Mm. Um, and it's obvious he wants to be a filmmaker the whole time, but there's even like uh, suggestions that he was considering college, you know, mm-hmm. just to make his dad and his yeah. parents happy. But um, the, the whole thing with Boris is interesting because it's like the dark mirror. Again, it's like Spielberg telling on himself it's the dark mirror because in, in a lot of interviews, he's talked about how he used to like think work was all there was. He used to be, I guess he still is kind of a real workaholic, but um you know, he ended up having a big family and, and this is like Boris is kind of like the the evil Spielberg with the goatee. He was like, No, 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 you're gonna throw all your life at this art and it's gonna be awesome, but you're gonna be torn up inside and you're gonna be ugly because no one'll love you and you love your work more than your family. It's it's so bizarre. It's this little 
it's this little monster piece in the middle of the film where <laughs> where Sammy looks at the dark future of 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 you know randomly showing up at his family's door one day after a funeral and you know making it it's it's bizarre it's 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 interesting i i think i have more esteem for this film now than when i saw it back in november uh originally i i i think it's really kind of grown on me um in a way like I, I back in November, I was kind of I'm, like, what is all the fuss about? It's like, it's like, it's a fine movie, but now, I think I'm now kind of more, more enthusiastic about it now having watched it at a second time. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'll watch it a second time. Cause for me, it's, it's a solid film. And it, for me, like I said, from Spielberg in the 2010s, it's mm. better than anything I've seen from that period. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think solid entertainment. I, I do think, for me, it, it does gloss over some things. And then also, I think the stuff in high school is great, but it mm. almost almost feels like it, it could have been like something from a TV show or something, you know? It's like, yeah. we've seen this before, the fish out of water being bullied and stuff. And, yeah, true. And he, does, he doesn't dig that deep into it, like you said. It's just sort of like... Yeah, they say something. There, the one character says some bad things about being a Jew and stuff, and there's a yeah. bagel. And there's I, it's yeah, it's there's a lot going on, but uh, we've had a lot going on on this show, and it's over now. And we have to <laughs> uh, we have to pass the torch on to the next show on CFRU. Here, we hope you like this one. You can stay connected to us at our website and creditsradioshow dot com. We're on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday through Podbean. And you can also listen to us through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show. Just search for End Credits on CFRU and Spotify. You can find us on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can people find you out there on the internet? On the internet, uh, flashing the deadpan on social media. Uh, Reach out. Let me know about a 2010 Spielberg (laughs) movie I should watch. (laughs) all right and i will be back here tomorrow on cfru for open sources guelph with scotty hertz we're going to be on at noon because of special programming on cfru tomorrow night some live music from the bullring i believe but uh, you'll still be able to listen to open sources at noon you can find me on twitter and instagram at adam a donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca and you can stay tuned for all the great programming here on cfru 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another end credits. And we will see you then.